Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports, and if you're a coach or a parent, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. You can ditch the emails and spreadsheets. The free Game Changer Team Manager app streamlines communication, scheduling, and live scoring into one easy-to-use app. Game Changer Team Manager is 100% free for your entire team. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager or search for Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. Today on the show, we have the head coach of Penn State University men's lacrosse, Jeff Tambroni. Coach Tambroni is a graduate of Hobart University. He was the 2009 D1 Coach of the Year. He was the 2011 CAA Coach of the Year, and he was an assistant coach for the 2014 men's national team. Coach Tambroni has coached eight seasons for the Nittany Lions. He ranks ninth among all active coaches in win percentage. Before coming to Penn State, Coach Tambroni spent 10 seasons as the head coach at Cornell University. Before that, he was an assistant coach at Loyola and for his alma mater at Hobart. Coach Tambroni and I touched on a lot of subjects this episode like working hard at what you love, embracing challenges, the cycle of leadership, maturity as a leader, living the investment at Penn State, and much more. Here's my interview with Coach Tambroni. Coach Tambroni, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get to talk. So let's get started like I always do. How'd you get started playing lacrosse? You know, I, I grew up in a town that was, uh, that the sport of lacrosse was just extremely popular in Camilla, so about, about uh, 10 miles west of Syracuse. And um, I think the, the fact that you just kind of wanted to do what your ancestors did, my older brothers both played, um, and I just had a lot of people around the town that we just looked up to as as role models and mentors, and kind of fell into a just a really good situation right there with the uh, with the sport of lacrosse. Mm-hmm. So, when you first started, who were some of the people that you looked up to? You know, there was a ton of people that went through the high school program that I played for, West Tennessee. Um, I think off the top of my head, the guys that come to mind are John Zelberti, uh, Todd Curry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Blanding, you know, you know some of the some of the greats, not just in our town, but but young men that just worked so hard, had so much fun doing what they were doing with the sport of lacrosse, and mm-hmm. um, inspired the rest of us around, uh, you know, the younger generation to to go out and follow in their footsteps. Right, right. And as you were, you know, as you watched those those people as a young player, did you try to emulate their game at all, or, or sort of how did they how did they inspire your way of lacrosse? I think the way the way they went about it um, was always fairly inspiring. You know, we used to congregate in the summertime um, at this facility called Shove Park, and you know, you had a chance to either be coached by them. And then the older we got, we had a chance to actually play against or with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was such a love and a passion for the sport uh, that it inspired, like I said, the younger generation to go out and compete and play the way they did. But I think the way they went about it, I mean, they, they just they put so much time and effort. And, you know, you, what, what most people saw was just game day. They saw them on, you know, Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights or you know, a game on the weekend. Mm-hmm. What the rest of us saw was, you know, the amount of time that these guys spent. I mean, John Zelberti comes to mind. I mean, he, there was rarely a time you know, during the cross season where he did not have his stick in his hand. He was a three-sport athlete, played mm-hmm. football, soccer in the fall, played both, um, played ice hockey, played lacrosse. So, you know, his crossover was pretty impressive, but there was never a time that that young man didn't have his, his lacrosse stick in his hand during the season, during the summertime. And, you know, I think the majority of us, you know, looked up to them so much as role models. You know, some right. of it was that we wanted to play like them, but they were just so darn good that that was, 
such a high aspiration. The other side of it was just just work as hard as they did for something that they loved. Right. Um, and I think that that became started to become natural for our town in general. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, you know, you mentioned he he was a three sport athlete. Um, what other sports did you play while you were growing up? I tried just about everything. You know, mm-hmm. I did. You know, spend a year playing basketball, a year playing baseball, but but the sports that I just uh, grew up loving were ice hockey, mm-hmm. soccer, and lacrosse. And you know, very fortunate that my father was as supportive as he was. He coached us. My, my three brother, our two brothers, all three of us played ice hockey. He coached us on ice hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up playing soccer. Gave us the opportunity there, and then uh, didn't know much about lacrosse, but. Um, you know, my oldest brother played and then I played. So, mm-hmm. you know, I felt very fortunate that they, my, both my parents supported us all in the endeavors that we wanted to do. That way it was a pretty intensive, uh, both time and, and financially sport ice hockey, but that was right. probably the first sport of love for my brothers and I. And, uh, we started playing that at a young age and then lacrosse and soccer came a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so what ultimately made you decide, uh, on Hobart as the place that you wanted to play lacrosse? You know, I think there was the starting point was probably camp. I used to go up there and go to Hobart lacrosse camp and, you know, their coaching staff led by Dave Yurick used to assemble just an all-star staff of, of coaches, collegiate coaches, division one, two and three coaches. Plus a lot of Hobart players would come back and coach some of whom I, I, I knew from West Genesee high school. So I had a little bit of a, a comfort level of that connection. And, you know, it was an hour away from home. It was a smaller school. All those things that I was looking for was there, but I would just say, you know, their coach Dave Yurick made a huge impact on my life. So between the recruitment of coach Yurick and coach Mark Van Arsdale, who's now the assistant coach over at Loyola, those guys, you know, they, they, they recruited me the right way. I felt like there was a real personal connection, thought they were looking out for the best interest of me as a young man and how I was going to develop. And, um, you know, that in, included with the, the comfort level of being a little bit closer to home, mm-hmm. a little bit smaller school made it a natural choice for me. And I look back, even, even with my experience of, of coaching at, at a, no, a number of different schools, big, small, Ivy League, uh, Patriot League, uh, mm-hmm. now here in the Big Ten, I still look back and say, man, it was the right choice for me at the time. And I, I for me, probably the biggest connection with Dave Yurick, just the impact that I knew he was going to have on my life. Right, right. And they just, uh, just this weekend, they just named uh, the stadium after him up at Hobart, right? Yeah, it was an, yeah. Yeah, it was an incredible experience. I, I, I unfortunately was not there due to a recruiting commitment that we had back at right. Penn State, but um, yeah, he has has made such an impact on so many people that that he has coached both that Hobart and Georgetown, and you know right. does it coaching for all the right reasons. He is truly a transformational coach. Right, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you know, I'm always curious about that that first semester when you know high school kids go away to school. Did you feel like it was fit right away at Hobart? I didn't. You know, it was odd. You know, all the all the reasons that I felt like it was the right place for me to come comfort level of, of camp, the comfort level of coaches, mm-hmm. um, all those things. I just felt like that, that was it. And when I went up there, it was a, it was a different school for me, you know, coming from upstate New York, um, a little bit of a smaller town, uh, then, then going up to a school that was, you know, it was more of a, a private school setting. Um, a lot of kids from, you know, private schools, versus the public school that I came from at West Tennessee. So not until we really started to get into the stream of practice and, you know, the, the spring season that I really feel comfortable that that was my comfort zone being with mm-hmm. our teammates. And, you know, we practiced, you know, two or three times a week in the fall. It was, it was very casual, you know, it was division three at the time. Uh, so we didn't do as much back then that we do now within the fall. So we didn't have as many experiences or exchanges with our teammates or coaches. Right, uh, but not until the springtime did we uh, did I really start to feel comfortable, and you know I didn't get off to a great start academically. I didn't probably get off to a great start socially, just in terms of just connecting, mm-hmm. and uh, and it took some time. So, you yeah. know, I, but I think it was a good experience for me, and I talk to our our players now each and every year, both when I was at Cornell and in Penn State, and just try to keep that same perspective in mind that it just takes time. You got to let the at right. least the first year unfold because there are so many surprises, both good and bad, that you're mm-hmm. going to have to work through. So, 
um, it was a it was a tough beginning for me for a lot of different ways. Did not get off to a good start academically. Was struggling there, so I just uh, questioned a little bit of, of what I was doing. But once the season started and we got into a kind of a routine uh, with the guys, with practices, with games, um, I never looked back and knew right. that it was the place for me. Yeah. So, so with that perspective in mind, when you uh, you know when maybe you have a, a a freshman kid you know who who just joined your team and is uh, having a rough start at it, what do, you, what do you say to him? What, what do you recommend? Um, how do you recommend, you know, maybe that he uh, – or, or what do you say to him that, that, uh, that might make him a little bit more comfortable or get him a little yeah. bit more, um, you know, comfortable while he's away at school? I think there's, there's a number of different things that you can do. Number one, I think that, that challenges are – that's a positive. So just because you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, I would encourage the – the young men to, to embrace that. I think those are the things that allow you to change without that challenge. I just don't think you're going to have mm-hmm. um, those life lifetime changes that are going to really strengthen you um, as a young man or as a young woman um, through your collegiate years, but through life in general. So mm-hmm. em- embrace the opportunity to be challenged a little bit. I mean, right. you don't want it to be the wrong fit. I mean, some people choose for different reasons. And with early recruiting, you may get young men who's whose minds just change so drastically that maybe they are at the, the wrong place. Right. Um, so you certainly don't want to try to fit that square peg into the round hole. But I, but I do want them to just understand that those feelings are common. They're not alone. Um, and to embrace them, you know, try to work through those things. And, and I think the other side of this is that they have great teammates, some of whom they just have not had taken the time to get to know yet or right. developed um, a rich enough relationship with to work through some of these things, but to allow it to unfold, to develop some relationships, lean on your teammates. You know, there's a lot of guys that they, they probably don't realize when they're looking at these juniors and seniors, um, you know, they look unbreakable in a lot of ways, but, but lean on those guys. Cause I think they'd be surprised that a lot of those guys that they're looking at now as role models and mentors, they were in the exact same situation that they were having the exact same feeling. So right. I think, Kind of that that assimilation of knowing that other guys have been there, um, and that they can lean on them, go through some questions about how they got through it, and and I think if they do the two things right, embrace those challenges and understand that that's those are the the, the sweet spots about college. Those are the things that you're gonna look back at and be proud of because you were able to kind of work your way through and navigate your way through some of those challenges. And number two, learn how to be a great teammate. Lean on those the guys around you um, when things aren't going well, but also, you know, appreciate and be grateful uh, for those situations. And when the next group comes around also, you know, be a sounding board and provide the same sort of mentorship with young guys. So right. it's a good cycle, a good cycle to learn. And uh, you know, it, it, it happens every single year. So it's something right. that we expect. Right. Right. Yeah. That's such an awesome, but it's such a, it's a big lesson to learn that, uh, you know, that it's, if you're uncomfortable when you push through it, you come out the other side, you come out better. Um, but also you're in a great position to help the next person behind you. That was in the same. That's a great point. Um, so, so, uh, let's move on to when you, uh, started coaching, what made you want to start coaching? So, where I grew up, as I mentioned, it was, uh, you know, in Camillus, New York, we were just fortunate to have, you know, gone to West Tennessee High School. And I look back and say, this is probably the greatest uh, opportunity that I was provided in life outside of my own family. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, just a chance to play for a legendary coach named Mike Masser. And I just admired uh, the way he went about his daily routine, um, the way he went about um, coaching and mentoring uh, you know, the kids in town and he, he, he was tough. He was definitely tough. There was no mistaking his standards and you had to live up to his standards. He never uh, compromised what he believed in, but he believed in us. He believed in us as young men. And I can, I still, you know, vividly remember going through, you know, my ninth grade year, 10th grade year, um, through, through high school, uh, the standards that he set for us when it came to, you know, social decisions, the standards that he set for us academically, the standards that he set for us on the field and just really admired it. He was, you know, my first mentor for sure. And again, outside of my own family, still to this day, uh, he had no male role model has had a greater impact on my life than him. And, you know, I think that that was the start of it. I just kind of admired what he was doing 
um, changing lives uh, mm-hmm. so much that that uh, it inspired me to kind of want to follow in his footsteps and have the same sort of impact that he had both in the summertime. And I started working when I was uh, in high school at, at summer camps and then in college. So I, I think that's where it started, just watching him go about his business and just kind of standing aside and watching the impact that he had on so many people in that community inspired right. me to want to do the same. Right. And was it something that you saw as a career right away? You know, I never, I've never wanted to do anything else. I just, I've mm. always wanted to be a coach and, you know, I feel very lucky in this regard. I ask parents of, of recruits all the time, you know, when I ask them what they do professionally and I follow up with the question of, do you love what you do? And it's, it's an interesting response. I would say about 50, 50, 50 say they love what they do. 50 say it's a, it's a job. It's a means to an end. It's a way to provide for your family. And right. For me, um, I knew when I went to Hobart uh, that I was going to have the same sort of, of mentor and um, you know coaching Dave Yurick that I did in uh, Mike Masser. They were different in the way they went about things, but I knew that I, in terms of having another mentor uh, for a profession, th- these were going to be great guys. They were going to invest in us. Uh, they were going to be tough. They were not going to allow us to just get away with things. They were going to be tough, but they were going to inspire us to be better. And I just, my entire life, I've always felt this was going to be um, kind of my path. And I've always been inspired to to be around the game of lacrosse. And I am just so grateful uh, that I've been able to stay in the game of lacrosse in this capacity for so long, doing what I absolutely love doing. Right, right. Yeah, that's the, that's the one commonality from everybody who's been on this show is everybody here either played lacrosse or is coaching lacrosse because it's the only thing that they can picture themselves doing. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing that they absolutely love. Yeah. So, so if I did my research right, you're you're you basically went from playing at Hobart to coaching at Hobart. Is that correct? I did. I did. Right. I, took, I took one year off, just going to. I went over to England. I did coach, but I went to England and worked in a school system over there and coached with some young kids and connected kids in England to a uh, to a club over there, and then came back the following year to get a job at, uh, at Hobart. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you did come back to work at Hobart, how did you handle that transition from, um, you know, uh, a year before being a player or two years before being a player and now you're the assistant coach at your alma mater? You know, I look back now and know that I made a ton of mistakes, but I, <laughs> I'm sure if, 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 if I look back 10 years from now, I'm going to look back today and say, man, I was still making a lot of mistakes, maybe different mistakes, but a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I was just really lucky that BJ O'Hara, who took over for Dave Yurick when I was a sophomore at Hobart College. So he then became uh, my head coach mm-hmm. along with Mark Van Arsdale. Uh, I was an assistant coach there. They stayed when Dave Yurick went to Georgetown. Mm-hmm. So I credit BJ O'Hara and Mike Hanna, the athletic director at Hobart College. Those guys were just phenomenal in, in their ability to mentor and be patient. Be patient with a young coach who is just, you know, working working my way through in terms of what what we had an ability to do as a player and then trying to, to to break that down and be a better teacher. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the biggest struggle, just trying to figure out what we did as a team or what I did as a player, which was um, never great. It was, it was good enough to get through my career at Hobart, but now I'm trying to look at these young men and trying to inspire them. But I also had to become a better teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think that connection of just learning how to explain, do a better job of explaining um, you know, the roles of the game, you know, you have your role as a player. Now the role of the game changes. It's a much bigger picture, much broader picture. So a lot of mistakes were made because I probably uh, didn't know as much as I thought I did coming out mm-hmm. of college, but right. uh, thank goodness I had a great role model in BJ O'Hara, a great role model in the athletic director on how to be a better professional mm-hmm. um, in my Canada. So, um, you know, a lot of mistakes, but, but the same way I went, I was a freshman just kind of learned through the challenges being a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I was able to do the same thing as a coach when I transitioned to Hobart right away right. after that first year. And, and, and if you can, can you, how do you, uh, how do you learn that skill, right? Uh, you know, the, being able to, um, you know, going from player to a coach and realizing that, wow, you know what, for the first time I need to get better at explaining this and teaching this to young men. 
how do you how did you learn that skill as a young coach? You know, I think you you, you have to go through an experience. It's the same way I, I I believe this in life. You know, every time you take on a new challenge, you have to go through the experience. Meet you certainly need to be prepared, um, but you can only be so prepared. It's like coming in as a freshman in college. You you, you think you're prepared. You come in through high school. Um, you work hard in the classroom, you work hard on the field and you hope that you're going to be somewhat prepared, but it's a little bit of the unknown. And I think that's kind of what it went for me. So I think that, uh, you know, you got to work hard in your, in your present position. And I can remember the AD actually at, at Hobart and he had a lot of great, um, you know, teaching lessons for me, but, but dress for the position you want to be in versus the position that you're in. Right. And, you know, and I'm not sure it made sense the first few times that we talked of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was it. Be prepared while you're playing. You know, be mature enough as a leader um, to assume that role when you become a coach. And I think it's important for all of us. And and I continue to remind myself of this every day. I mean, you're in a position uh, to to mentor young men. That doesn't mean they'll listen. You're just in a position to lead. You have to make the decision to go out and lead. So, you know, I think for for me back then, I was just very lucky to have good, great role models in my life. And um, I, I tried to prepare myself as well as I could prior to being in that position so that when I was in that position, um, my voice had a little bit of volume, but, but certainly had uh, substance behind it because I was doing it myself as a player, not, not necessarily on the field. We had a lot of great players. I hope are much better than I was, but in terms of the way I, w- I went about my business off the field, in the classroom, socially, stuff of that nature. So a lot of great lessons were learned on the fly. Um, pay attention to the guys around you. Those who have been there before you the same way you did as a, as a freshman. And I think that that was a real big help for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you, uh, when you eventually, you know, skipping ahead a, a few years here, um, you know, we only have so much time, but you did get, uh, you know, a, a chance to handle another tradition, uh, or another transition when you went on, um, you know, you went from the assistant coach to the head coach at Cornell. Can you talk real quickly about how you handled that transition from being assistant to an head, to a head coach? That was probably the toughest transition. And again, going back and looking at, you talk about mistakes being made. I mean, I was 29 years old and um, I, I questioned whether even I was ready. I mean, I certainly wanted to be a head coach. That was why I was in the profession. Had You know, at that time, now we skip ahead. I had been under Dave Cottle at Loyola, had a chance to work under Dave Petramala. I knew I had some of the greatest lacrosse minds and mentors in my life, you know, from, from high school all the way up into that point. But when the, when Dave Petramala left to take the job at his alma mater at Johns Hopkins and the AD Andy Noel offered me the job at Cornell, um, there was two distinct emotions going on. One great excitement and pride that, that here I was, you know, the head coach of, you know, one of the greatest traditions in the sport of lacrosse, but right. two, questioning whether or not I was ready for this. So, you know, it, it was, it was challenging 29 years old. I'm coaching kids. Some of them are 22, 23 years old. Um, that was an extremely tough transition for me. I made a ton of mistakes early, but the greatest lesson that I learned, um, in that transition is just be yourself. You gotta, you gotta be yourself. You can't be Dave Petromal. You can't be Dave Cottle. You have to be Jeff Gambroni. Be comfortable with who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids, kids can smell or sniff out um, a lack of authenticity or an authentic message. And you know, through trial and error, certainly through my first year, I feel bad for those first seniors that I had. I just, <laughs> you know, I made a ton of mistakes there, and I think I was trying to be someone that I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I admired them all, I have a distinct personality that's a little bit different. So the 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 biggest lesson through that transition was just be yourself, be authentic. Um, and you'll find young men who are inspired by that message in, in that pathway and typically the success will follow. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, so, uh, again, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, uh, tell us the story about how you ended up at Penn state. So, you know, I've been there for 13 years at Cornell, three as an assistant, 10 as a head coach. And by far, this was the toughest decision that I ever made. I, I always, you know, when I left Hobart to go to Loyola, it was a tough decision. When I left Loyola to go to Cornell, that was a tough decision. But when I left Cornell, just because of the amount of time I spent there, for sure, that was one, 13 right. years. But the experiences that I went through and the relationships that uh, my wife and I and our kids developed while we were living in Ithaca and on and off the field, 
um, at Cornell were just so significant that by far, by far the most challenging decision I've ever had to make professionally and one of the most challenging decisions I've ever had to make uh, in general. But, you know, at that point, I was just looking for, you know, there's personal and professional. Personally, my, my wife did go to Penn State, so um, this was a natural for us to bring come back down here. She was excited. Um, she did not. Uh, sway the decision in any way, but I knew that if we did make the decision, it would be a, a great move for her and for our kids. Right. Um, but prof- professionally, I was honestly just looking for a new challenge. Um, at that point, 10 years at one institution, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, fan base, alumni group, uh, athletic department, just absolutely loved everything. There was never a negative about it. I just, I really wanted to be a part of something different. You know, you mentioned it. I had some you know, between the high school program and then, you know, going to Hobart as a coach, becoming a head coach at Cornell, every one of those programs had such great tradition of right. success. And then when I came to Penn State, it was just a much different um, opportunity. Great tradition. Mm-hmm. This this program's been around. This is year 106 of the program. Mm-hmm. We just haven't had the same success as maybe a, a Cornell, certainly not a Cornell, uh, a Hobart, or in a different sense, West NC. And, and that was motivating to me in my professional career. Try to just move away from, you know, what I had always been accustomed to and try to come and just change the narrative, try to build uh, at, a, at an institution versus be a part of something that has already been built prior to your arrival. Right, right. So when you do get there year one, how are you approaching setting the tone for the program? I think it all started with, with just expectations. You know, I look back at my high school career and talk about the same thing, the standards that were set, just creating um, the clarity through, you know, the direction. So talking to these young men about the vision. So we first talked about where we thought we could go as a program. And not all of it was just lacrosse. It was more about, hey, look, it's socially, academically, and athletically. This is where we think we could end up. And then doing a better job of just making sure that these guys had a roadmap um, in terms of where we thought we could go in year one. And, and that that those the, that those roadmap that roadmap and those directions were, were very clear. Um, they had a very uh, distinct set of standards and expectations that we had with with the young men. And you know, in every sense of the word, we wanted them to just think outside the box a little bit. Uh, there was a great great young men on that in that team there was it was a tough transition for all of us because it was just different in terms of what we were asking them to do 24 hours a day but at the end of the day we just asked them to live the investment of Penn State lacrosse versus just check in you know in the afternoon at about 2 30 and then check out at about 5 30 I think that was the biggest transition for for them Mm -hmm. and for us to have to instill that this is this is a lifestyle this is not a an opportunity to be a part of a team here in the afternoon. This is a lifestyle. So every day when you feed at the floor and every day until you're headed to the pillow, let's start thinking a little bit more accountable uh, to your teammates, to your program and see if we can't create a vision and then set out and try to accomplish this on a right. daily basis. But, but with every minute of every day, not just in the afternoon. Right. Right. And have those expectations that you set that first year, are those the, the foundational expectations that you bring into every year or is there a different sort of theme or goal or a set of expectations that you're setting each and every year? That's a great question. So, you know, I think the, the, the foundation is the same. So we just want to make sure that we're, we're consistent that our message with our guys is consistent. We want to, you know, quite simply, we talk to our guys about being mission based, the mission of our, of our year to year is just to leave the program better than you found it. And, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into that just being respectful for the people that came before you for sure. Um, not to say that you're going to be better than them, but you're going to respect the efforts that they put in, grab their Jersey, put it on with, with a recognition of what they've done before you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also try to just do a better job of just, improving where you can just just taking any any piece of any of those factors that we talked about socially academically and athletically and just making sure that it's just a little bit better when when you leave than when you found it so i think that's a big piece the other piece that we talk about year in and year out is and we talk about this there's a kind of a hashtag or kind of a motto that we we follow about being part of a brick squad and just building something 
um, meticulously and just understanding that every time we lay down another brick um, in our foundation and it's going to be an important one, but it's building for the future. So, you know, mm-hmm. talking in those terms about being a part of a building process, right. um, you know, I know going back through your career, you were part of some great traditions and in the collegiate sense. And, and this is something that we admire and we want to be a part of. So we just talk about, you know, those two things, just that being, being sold on long-term and uh, making sure that every year we, uh, we go back to a blue collar sense about building on a foundation of brick by brick, just day by day, kind of the details matter. And, and, and hoping that, uh, you know, over the long term we're going to be able to respect our ancestors, but also leave this place much better than we found it and establish, you know, what, what you had in college, what I had in college, which is a championship culture. Right, right. Yeah. Building, building a great tradition is not something that's done overnight. It's done Correct. year after year, yeah. laying a, laying yep. a brick as perfectly as you can each and every day. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, so let's, uh, let, let's talk about, uh, your guys practice. Um, if you can, can you walk us through uh, a typical, let's say a, an in-season practice? I know we're talking during the fall, but what's a typical in-season practice during the spring for you guys? So I've, I've changed a lot. So if anyone from Cornell ever listens to this podcast and they say, what? When I say we don't <laughs> practice over 90 minutes any day. So 90 minutes is the longest that we practice. And I can remember back. And again, you learn from your mistakes. I mean, we would, we would go two fifteen, two and a half hours every day, Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. uh, prior to games. And, you know, I, I, I've learned a lot through sports science. We have a great sports science team here at Penn State. And, you know, I think rest has become a big part of your success as well as, you know, the efforts that you put in. But but right. 90 minutes or less every day, a long practice would be would be 90 minutes. That includes stretch. But we typically start, you know, with skills. Every day we start with skills. Just try to get these guys through, you know, a routine anywhere from 10 minutes to 25 minutes of a skill-based set could be offense and defense separate, could be offense and defense or a team together. Uh, but we try to make sure we establish the foundation the same way that we talk big picture about the details. And it's certainly something that I learned from, from my high school days. Um, we'll then move into, you know, what we would consider small ball. We do, you know, smaller pieces uh, that, that will eventually fit into the big picture. They're, they're two on twos, they're one on ones. They're, there are things that get more people involved, but not necessarily everybody involved. And then we go big picture at the end of practice. So, you know, depending on the day, um, you know, if I looked at in season, um, Monday's typically a cleanup day from the week before whatever mm-hmm. game that we played Tuesday and Wednesday, that those are our longer practices, typically around 90 minutes. Those are knockdown, drag out, full contact type practices. Um, so there is a combination of those things, skills, small ball, big picture mm-hmm. in every practice. And, you know, depending on the objective, sometimes we'll finish with some specialties, extra man, man down, face offs, whatever it might be. But that that's a pretty typical day for us in the uh, spring. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and so how much time would you guys say you spend on, uh, you know, doing things um, team related versus um, individual work. Do you guys do any individual like break it down by position work during practice or during the week? We do, we do. It's I would just say some of that is is individual based. Like it's you know person to person. We we tend to spend more time during the spring um, more team based. But it's you know like I said that first twenty five minute segment anywhere from ten to twenty five minutes. Is, is a combination of working on individual skills, but bigger groups. I think you can mm-hmm. you can learn a lot from what your other guys are doing. So we talk to our guys about going back in line and becoming a you know a student within the drill. So right. a lot of that stuff happens during that that first segment right there. But we do spend a lot of time, like right now in the fall, of working on those individuals, trying to work on smaller groups, and trying to develop those skills of that platform for success in the spring. Mm-hmm. And what, uh, if you can, what is your, um, what is your weight or, um, your weight program or your, your conditioning program look like? How much, um, uh, during the fall, let's say right now, how much are your yeah. kids in the weight room? How much are they running? Things like it's, that. It, it's interesting. I'll talk to my old teammates about mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And I just said, man, I mean, well, back in the day when I played and you know, if, if, if you were working out or lifting two or three times a week as a team and you were doing it 
um, you know, religiously and you had a decent program, you were way ahead of your right. opponents. Nowadays, if you're not lifting, you know, three times a week, at least three times a week and doing heavy speed and agility programs, um, you're way behind. So it's just, mm-hmm. it has changed so significantly. And, you know, so, so during the fall, it's three times a week for sure. And, mm-hmm. and that includes, uh, basically the umbrella of everything. It's, it's strength building, it's speed and agility training, it's conditioning for the season. So it's a little bit of everything. We have a fantastic strength coach. Um, he is dedicated to our team, comes to practice every day, travels with us on the road. And, you know, he has a, a phenomenal plan and a routine that, that he carries out every day, stretches our guys every day um, and, and prepares them for practice and, and for success in our season every day based on what he does. So it is, you know, right now it goes about four and a half hours. So we go three times a week with him and, and then we have skill development for three and a half hours right now. Um, outside of the strength and conditioning program. So all really important stuff, you know, the strength training, great way to protect yourself from injury, um, to prepare yourself for the season, for the the longevity of the season. And then, you know, the conditioning, both for both mental and physical Mm -hmm. stuff like that goes into play. So all that stuff, we take that very serious three times a week out of the season. And then we do it twice a week during the season. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so let's talk real quick. How do you guys during the season, um, how do you guys prepare for upcoming opponents? Let's say it's a, you know, let's say you have a game on Saturday and it's Monday. What does your week look like? How are you preparing for that upcoming team? So, so if I looked at the the scale of the week, Monday is, is definitely, that's Penn State day. So we're, mm-hmm. we're reflecting on what we just did over the course of the weekend and we don't spend any time talking about our opponent. That time is spent on us. So, mm-hmm reflect on what we've done, reflect on where we can get better and make sure that Monday we clean everything up before we even start to um, broach that. Now as a coaching staff, we're, we're getting ahead certainly in developing our, our base or our game plan. And then Tuesday, Wednesday is typically those, that, that's the transition day. Uh, I think we tend to spend less time on our opponents nowadays than we used to. And I think just concerning ourselves on playing our best has become kind of a better motto for us than worrying so much. And I think if you look at our offensive end, we probably spend far less time worrying about what a defense does. I think in our defensive end, we spend a lot more time, um, you know, game planning for the strengths of an opponent's offense. So it depends on where you play in terms of how much we put into it. But but Tuesday, Wednesday is the big day there. And then Thursday is kind of a, a recap day where we just kind of refine uh, off the field, we actually don't even practice on Thursdays now. We just kind of refine off the field what the game plan is going to be, and uh, just make sure everyone's on the same page. Right, right. And and how do you how do you specifically as a head coach? How are you preparing for the upcoming game? Like, what sort of things are you thinking about? What are you looking at? Like, how are you approaching game day? What do you make sure that you know um, so that your team is ready come Saturday? Yeah, I think that there's just style or I think style of play as a head coach, I got to be prepared to game manage um, more stylistically. I mean, certainly there are individual matchups that we want our guys to, to manage defensively. There are individual matchups that we would like our guys offensively to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's more about trends as a head coach to make sure that our offensive and defensive coordinators are prepared um, for certain trends that make mm-hmm. sure I'm prepared for certain trends that go on through the course of the day. Um, shooting patterns in their offensive end, speed or pace of play, offense to defense, um, what the teams do coming out of timeout zone, man, pressure, stuff of that nature. Uh, riding and clearing has become a big part of it, more of the big picture stuff for me. I just, um, you know, through the course of the week, just try to make sure that situationally uh, that our team or our coordinators are going to be prepared for what they do. So that's, that's more of my role now as yeah. I coach. Gotcha, gotcha. Makes sense, makes sense. So, real quick, um, let's uh, let's talk about how you approach um, the off season for your kids. So, let's start. Uh, you know, what you have your kids do over the summer. You know, as they're preparing to come back uh, from fall. What uh, what sort of routine do you guys have um, for your players coming back from summer to fall? Yeah, so this is another area that I think you know over time I've definitely learned. Uh, developed and adapted a, a, a different sense than when I was a younger coach. Um, you know, I think summer is for fun. I think certainly go out and play. We want them to enjoy the game, not that they don't enjoy it during the season, but it's 
it's fairly scripted. You know, when you're doing mm-hmm. the season, Monday is for this, Tuesday, Wednesday is for this. Right. Um, you know, straight through the se- <clears throat> into the season, and you know, going every day, competing and playing. Hopefully, with the game that you love. I don't care who you are when you're doing it like that every day. Um, sometimes it can become, it can model more of a job than it can a just a, an opportunity to compete and play and enjoy something that you've you've always enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So I always want to make sure that there is a reminder of of why they play the game. Go home, have some fun, play some some club lacrosse, but but play. I mean, I think that's an important piece of it. You got to continue to keep playing over the summer, take some chances, be creative. Um, you know, when, when the, the outcome of, of what you're doing is not as significant, maybe in a, in a big 10 game, maybe go out and just enjoy it. You want to win for sure, but just go out and enjoy and put your stick in your hands where you have a chance to learn um, from just being a little bit more creative out there outside the box of, of mm-hmm. your, your fall or spring season. And then, and then build muscle. I think that's the other one. We, we've taken less emphasis and put it on, um, taking it away from the conditioning piece and put it way more into the uh, the weight room. So we just want our guys to just, you know, over time, just, just learning how much of a benefit that is not to become bigger, uh, but to become stronger, to protect yourself from injuries, to protect yourself from the impact of the sport. So we, we talk to our guys a lot about that. I think the game is just growing at such a significant pace. You look at the size and the speed of the athletes that are playing the game today. So right. we put a lot of emphasis through our strength and conditioning coach. He'll send them home with a, with a packet. And, you know, so our message every summer is, you know, continue to have a mindset, whatever that mindset might be. That, that message is a little bit different each uh, summer, depending on how the, the season went, but have fun, make sure you play the game, have fun doing it and, mm-hmm. and build muscle. The conditioning piece, you don't want them to go zero to 60, mm-hmm. uh, but we put a lot, less emphasis on conditioning over the summer just allow them to kind of re- repair their muscles and get themselves prepared for a long season it is a long season when they come back from the fall gotcha gotcha and then so you know after the fall season's over it's uh you know let's say it's christmas break kids are coming back um or before they come back for the start of the season how do you sort of approach that off season what what does that look yeah. like what do you tell your kids um what do you expect from them during that off season uh, great question. That's that, then it becomes a little bit more. Uh, we changed the narrative there. Not now we're looking at them to, to build in two different areas. Now the cardio is extremely important, and I think this is where injuries happen. So when you come back after Christmas break, and you go from that zero to sixty kind of a mentality, um, you know we, we we track our guys. It's become much more scientific these days. I mean these guys are running in a particular practice or a typical week of practice anywhere from probably twenty five to 30,000 yards in a week of practice. And if they're at home and they're running, you know, 10,000 or 12,000 in a particular week and then come back to school and then kick it up to a 25 to 30,000 yard week, this is where injuries just happen. So it's important for us to build um, intelligently when they're over the break, give them a program that's going to allow them to um, build their mileage, you know, each week so that by the time they come up here, there's a natural progression for the first week of practice so that injuries don't, don't occur during that. No, those that we can control don't happen. So that's a big piece of it. And then the other side of his mindset. Um, so, you know, building the weight room is important for sure, but building your mindset to what you're about to, to endure or what you're about to go into is also important. So being mentally tough, challenge yourself when you go home, sometimes guys go home to, to different weather patterns and geography, but it's important to just put yourself in a position to be well rested inside of your mind. Right. Um, but to be prepared for the challenges that are ahead. So I think at that point, conditioning and mindset are more important there. Whereas fun and muscle are important over the summertime. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so, uh, so let's talk real quick, you know, for the, for the young players, the parents that are listening, um, let's talk recruiting. How do you recommend, um, young kids today, you know, especially as you mentioned a bunch of times, the game is, is, is growing and, you know, it's getting so big. Uh, how do you recommend young players stand out? How do you recommend that they get noticed by the teams that, or the schools that they might want to go to and play for? This is, I would say just an extremely simplistic message mm-hmm. and it's a common theme certainly with our guys here with my own family here and it's a very frustrating piece of, of uh, 
you know, kind of knowledge, both as a father of three kids that all play lacrosse, three, three daughters, mm-hmm. and as a recruiter going out. And I think, you know, I, and I say this all the time when young men come up to our prospect camps, if you did one thing, one thing every time you went to a summer tournament or a fall tournament and, and you did this to the best of your ability, you would stand out. And that's just play hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I think everyone's going to have a, a – you know, a different skill set, whether you can shoot the ball really hard or you're a great defender at the goal line or you're just extremely, you know, athletic going from defense to offense or vice versa. But, you know, the one thing that that really stands out to all of us as recruiters is just someone that's willing to compete at a really high level and just play hard. And I just can't tell you both as a father and as a coach how often we go out and either watch my own kids play or, um, at these summer tournaments, watch kids play, and just I am just shocked that you know the the amount of investment that they make financially, the amount of investment that they make in terms of time, how much time they spend on the road, how much time they spend on these club teams, right. that they go out to these tournaments, and it's it's you know you play at a at a different level, you play at a level that's just um, a little bit more methodical versus. Mm. Uh, a little bit more urgent. So I'd say if there's one thing you want to get noticed, go out there and it, has, it takes requires zero talent. Just go out and play as hard as you possibly can. And uh, there is a very good chance that coaches on the sidelines will recognize you just for that intangible in and of itself. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. And, and so, and so for, for any kids that, that are listening, you know, might be hoping like, Hey, you know, I want to go to Penn state. What, what advice um, what advice would you have for them? Sort of what what sort of uh, kids are you looking for at Penn State? So there's there's two things, and, and this is not a, a ploy for me to get kids at our camp. I, but I do think this day and age, the one thing that uh, connects most of us as coaches, and I would say we all do this. Don't just do this at Penn State. Do it wherever you're looking. You know, the prospect camps that are being offered are much. They make much more sense financially. They're much cheaper. They're mm-hmm. quicker. Um, and they just make a lot of sense. You're on their campus, the coaches or the team's campus. You get to spend an entire day uh, typically playing in front of the coaching staff. So I'd say that'd be one, just tangibly, just, hey, go go off and do this. And then for us, um, and I just say this for our own core values, you know, if you want to come to Penn State, we, we talk about this when we do our prospect camp. There are three things that we're looking for. Some that we can see more than others. Obviously, talent is, is outside of this. We want the most talented um, you know, base that we can get every year in recruiting, but the intangibles outside of just talent, talent's the easiest thing to see. You don't need to be a lacrosse coach um, professionally to understand what young men are more talented than others. That's the easiest thing to pick out. But we want three things, three core values that we constantly talk to our guys about that we want to add year in and year out. Number one, relentless workers. Again, it's the first thing that we want to see. The first thing that we want to talk to club coaches or high school coaches about um, number two, do they care? Are they compassionate? I would say the core value of compassion, do they care about their teammates? Do they compare about playing the game the right way? Um, and you can pick that up fairly easily on the course of the field. Are they invested in other people when they're they're making great plays or they're struggling? Do they do they go outside of their own uh, their own game or their own sphere? Knowing that, hey, look, I'm at a recruiting tournament, and I get that, but but how invested are they in the guys that are wearing the same colors, whether they just got assembled that day or if they've been playing club their whole life. Uh, but we, we definitely want kids who care about not just themselves or their own path, but, but the guys that they're playing with, and that's important for us. We want to recruit great teammates. And then the last one is competitors. We want guys who are willing to, and in the summertime, I mean, you have so many games, so many club teams play so many games. You know, on a particular day, you may play four or five games. Um, we want someone that's going to be cognizant of the scoreboard in every situation so that when the game right. ends, um, you know, we certainly don't want someone throwing a stick across the sidelines because they lose. Um, we want, But we want competitors. We want someone to realize that the scoreboard is on, and regardless mm-hmm. of the outcome, that they don't they – don't, um, they don't complain or they don't provide excuses as to why they didn't win. They compete as hard as they can. Uh, they embrace the competition no matter what it is. And then they live with the results and learn from it and get better. And, you know, those, those three things you can see, they're a little bit more challenging than talent, but that's kind of the intangibles of what we'd be looking for for the next generation of Penn State. 
Right. Gotcha. Makes sense. Um, well, coach, listen, uh, this was great. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time, but there's been one question before I let you go, uh, that I've asked everybody who comes on the show. Uh, what are three things that everyone should be doing every day to get better at whatever it is they do? It doesn't have to just be lacrosse. Yeah, I, I would, I would echo the exact same thing that we talked about. I think, you know, working hard, obviously is a great, that's the, the foundation of this. I think number two is, just loving what you do. So I would just say, you know, if you want to, same thing I talked about when, you know, I, I got into this profession, just if there is a passion for something that you do, obviously that's going to lead to everything else, the success, the motivation to, to be inspired to get up. I'm inspired to get up every single day and to come into work. So you got to, you got to do something that you love and love something that you do. And then the last one is just, and I talk about it in what we're looking for at Penn state, it just builds for others. I think if you, constantly are trying to build for just yourself or your own portfolio, your own success. Um, you know, that, that's going to be a short sighted goal. And it's going to be very challenging to get other people to buy in. But if you build for others or with others, um, that that's a fun project to be a part of. And, you know, that's kind of our goal. So working hard, loving what you do and trying to build with or for others, I think is a, is an easy piece, three-step piece that you can kind of follow every day to help your own success, put those around you. Right. That's awesome, Coach. Well, Coach, listen, like I said, this was a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a travel or club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential, all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free. It's easy to use and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.